Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88,000. How are we doing? Okay, sweet. I'm going to ask you again, how are we doing today? Uh, Pastor James and Pastor Cody are just on their way back from vacation, and so uh, you got me today. The real pastor will be back next week, Um, or he could be in the rafters right now watching me. I'm not really sure. The lights are kind of bright. That's his personality style to spy on me, Uh, but uh, I I love them. I didn't mention this to first service, but um, he is very dear to me. I would not be who I am or where I'm at right now in my life without Pastor James um, and mainly Pastor Cody because she keeps him alive, and so can we honor our pastors and put our hands together for them? The ones that didn't clap, there's a, you're just being recorded, I'll put it that way. Um, today, we're in Joshua chapter 3, um, and so if you have your Bibles or Bible app, you can turn there. That's all we're going to be in today is Joshua 3, 1 through 5. Uh, some context of where we're at uh, in Scripture. Moses just died in the previous few chapters, and the Israelites are right on the border of the Promised Land. They are right against the Jordan River, and God has promised them the Promised Land, That's why it's called the promised land. And they're on their way, but they have a new leader. His name is Joshua, and they are in the middle of a transition. Can y'all say transition with me? Transition. Joshua chapter 3, let's read. Joshua began early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. They went as far as the Jordan and... Sorry, my notes. And they stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people... When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priest, you are to break camp and to follow it. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the Ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you have not traveled this way before. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. I've titled today's message, Trust in the Transitions Let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is sharper than the double-edged sword. It is a light into our feet, in our path. Lord, help it to direct our steps by the guidance of your spirit. Anoint me to speak your word, even as the enemy is shouting right now in my head. I rebuke you, devil, in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Speak to us as a church and speak to us as an individual. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's transitional moments in our life where Who we follow or what we follow, what we do, what we say, who we become is a little more important than some other moments in our life. And it's certainly important when we have not gone a certain way before. The Israelites, they're at the Jordan River. It is impassable because it is at flood stage. And they're following a guy that is new to leading them. And they're going a way they have not gone before. And so the seniors that are in the room, they're they're heading into an area of life, a season of life they've not been before but maybe uh, you have a new job or a new position or a new title and you have not gone this way before. Maybe uh, you're new to your faith or you're growing in your faith and you have a new step the Lord is asking you to take. Maybe you have a new relationship status, hello, or maybe it's not as good of a relationship status. Maybe your financial situation is changing a little bit. Maybe you have some children moving out or maybe you have some children that are moving back in. For a lot of us here today, we're right around a transition or in the middle of a transition. 
And what I've learned in life is that if you're not in a transition, there is probably one on the horizon because that is kind of how the Lord likes to work. Transitional moments, my notes say, a lot of times determines who we are. And so that moment that the stoplight turns yellow, the transitional moment in your life with who are you going to be in this moment? Are you going to be the chicken that slams on the brakes? Or are you going to be the one that goes through the yellow light and gets to your place uh, right on time? For me, when the microwave reaches about three or four seconds left on the countdown and I'm across the other side of the kitchen and my kids are in the way, I'm just going to let you know I have an inner vow to never let that thing beep at me. I will truck my kids. I will run them over to get to that microwave. Anyone else like me, like the microwave is not going to beep. It is against my belief system. Maybe if you're weird and the gas light comes on in your car, because most of us plan for it not to come on, but if it comes on, it's a transitional moment in your life. What are you going to do? You're going to keep driving? You can go to the gas station. The ones that the light comes on, they're not going to the gas station. They came on for a reason. They don't go to the gas station. Maybe, more importantly, when you're at the grocery store of choice and you see that parking spot on the other aisle and you make your way around, and as you're making your way around, Miss Karen is making her way down. I'm sorry if her name's Karen. It just slipped out. Um, she's making her way, and you see her wheels start to angle down that aisle, and you give each other the look. Who are you going to be in that moment? You going to chicken out, or are you going to tell her who's boss? Are you going to cut her off and get to your parking spot? MCs. So, but Pastor Tim, where'd he go? He left me. Well, Pastor Tim is an MC pastor here during our service. His job is in the transition to get from one point of the service to the next. He has to match the energy. Brooke has to match the energy. I have to match the energy when we're MC pastors. And if we don't, all of you notice. It's a big moment. And so we can get up here and embarrass ourselves. We've all done it before. But our point is to get from one part of the service to the next part of the service. There he is. Hey, bud. <laughs> smoothly without everyone noticing. The Israelites, they had a lot of transitional times as they're leaving Egypt going into the promised land. One example that they did not get right is the time that they spent 40 years walking in circles in the desert. They did not get that transition correct. And now they're at the Jordan River transitioning across it into the promised land. And we're gonna look at that story today and look at how we can apply it to our lives. So let's start in verse one. Joshua began early the next morning and he left the Acacia Grove with all the Israelites. So you may have noticed right there on the screen, it says the CSB version. I use that every now and then, but what I learned, there's this word in the King James Version and in the NIV Version. So if you're reading right there where you're at and you see a word that looks like this, it is pronounced shatim. And as a youth pastor, I wanted to have a lot of fun with that, this service, that you are stuck in your shatim and you need to get out. But I didn't trust myself to pronounce that correctly for 28 minutes. And I know some of y'all, I don't trust how you would behave if I mispronounced it. And so we went the CSB version to make sure we could get through service in one piece without me losing my job or you losing your dignity. So let's just keep reading. Just want to give you an editorial note as we continue. Stop. The they went as far as the Jordan and they stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the priests, you are to break camp and to follow it. So this wording here in the English translated to the Hebrew was one word and the definition that comes up is to literally remove tent pegs from the ground. So it's a pretty easy picture to imagine is that as they're breaking camp, 
the Israelites, and as we break camp from one season transitioning to the next, it looks like pulling your tent pegs up and moving. And it might seem obvious that in order to get to the next season, you have to leave the last, but so many people try to get to the next thing and they're still stuck in the last thing. So number one is that we have to break camp. Everyone say break camp. We gotta break camp. It's a simple concept, but it's not always easy to pull off because sometimes that last season, the old mindset, that habitual sin, the old way of doing things is convenient. I learned in college, the first couple of years, it's more convenient to stay at mom and dad's house and let them pay the bills and I just pay what I have to pay. It's more convenient and easier and cheaper to stay on your parents' insurance in college than it is to get your own. Someone said amen, come on. It's convenient to pick up fast food than it is to cook a whole meal. It's convenient when I'm tired to let my kids brush their teeth instead of me brushing their teeth for them like a good parent. Sometimes it's more convenient to point fingers and argue with your spouse than it is to really deal with the situation. It's more convenient to blame celebrities in the White House than to address what's going on in your house. It's convenient. But breaking camp meant the Israelites had to transition from a convenient lifestyle to an inconvenient one, and they had to leave some convenient things behind. They were going from roaming and wandering to now the Lord's asking them to go and conquer and attack and to take over this land. They had to leave convenient things behind. They had to focus on what was necessary for the next season. That's a word for someone. They had to focus on what was necessary for the next season. Is it possible that God wants you to distance yourself from convenient people? Convenient patterns of thoughts that you're just used to. Convenient addictions, places. The previous camp can be convenient and it can also be comfortable. Now, convenience, it almost always means easier, but comfortable is not always the case. Convenience is fast food over cooked food, sometimes lying compared to telling the truth. But comfortable, sometimes it's more difficult, but it's just what we're used to. I mentioned it before, but it's kind of like getting out of that indention in your mattress. The older you get, the harder it is to get out because that place is comfortable. The Lord had already promised the Israelites that the promised land was going to be full of blessings and favor and that he was going to take out their enemy, but that wasn't the life that they knew. The Israelites did not know how to attack. They didn't know how to move forward. And for 40 years, they just learned how to walk in circles over and over and over. The thing is about a circle is it gets comfortable because after you go around a couple of times, you know what's coming next and it gets comfortable, but the enemy wants to keep you walking in circles rather than transitioning to the next season. Sometimes you have to pull up the tent pegs and transition to what's next, though it might be inconvenient and uncomfortable. There are some things that I've learned the hard way when it comes to breaking camp. These are typically the things that we don't like to experience in life. One of the things I learned is that it's better to go through a season of temporary uncertainty than to compromise the everlasting truth of God's word. Just because you don't know what's next or how hard it's gonna be or what you're gonna feel through that does not mean you compromise who you are or what God says. So we can't compromise the truth just because we're uncertain of what's next. Another thing that I learned is sometimes that the Lord does not show you what's next because he's trusting you and your obedience right now. He's trying to see how you're going to increase your faith right now. When I think of obedience, I think of me and my kids, or the lack of obedience sometimes, 
think of me and my kids in that tug of war that we have as parents trying to get our kids to obey the things that we're trying to teach them. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. The six-year-old's Ellie. I've talked about her before. She's the smartest one in the house, according to her. And uh, a couple times a week, we'll go to Walmart, whether it's for our house or the church or whatever. And she has a hard time deciding sometimes. She's a busybody. And she has a hard time deciding what side of the buggy, it's a buggy, by the way, it's not a shopping cart, we're in the south, watch your mouth. Um, She has a hard time deciding, am I riding on the driver's side? Am I riding in the trunk? Am I riding on the passenger side? Am I riding like underneath? This day, she decided to ride on the driver's side. And so I'm walking away from the buggy, buggy, and I'm shopping, and I see what she's doing in the corner of my eye, and she's pushing up on the handle of the buggy, getting her feet off the ground, lifting herself up. Now, as the wiser person in the house, maybe not smarter, wiser, I see what's about to happen. Y'all know what's about to happen. You push down that buggy too hard, the other part kind of kicks out. And so, as a parent, there are some things you just tell your children one time. This was one of those moments. I said, hey, if you keep doing that, you're going to get hurt, she said, no, I won't, Daddy. I've been doing this for a while. I just shopped. I didn't even say anything. So I go back, and I'm doing my shopping. Now, the corner of my eye, I see that buggy rear back, and I see her neck snap backwards. And as a parent, you already know what I want to say. I told you so. But I didn't. It was in my spirit, though. Uh, and so I turned, and I looked at her. She turned around. Her eyes are watering. And she's like, Daddy, I bit my tongue. <laughs> like, if you would have just listened to me, you wouldn't have got hurt. Obedience with God, sometimes what we don't like about it, what doesn't make sense, if we could do the exact thing that God told us and it still hurts. We can do it step by step, the best that we can, and obedience does not always feel good. Sometimes it can flat out hurt. Point number two is to obey anyway. Obey anyway. So picture this, the Israelites, they're going in circles in the desert, they finally figure out the desert. They got scorpion traps. They got water coming from rocks. They got manna coming from heaven. Their enemy is now drowned in the Red Sea. They got all of this going on. It's comfortable, it's convenient. And God is like, hey, go over there. Go over there across the river and go fight the bad guys. Go fight the giants. And by the way, don't be afraid. I would be like, sir, I'm comfortable right here. I'm not trying to fight the biggest, baddest dudes in the prison. I'm comfortable right here with manna coming from heaven, water coming from rocks. I got it going good. I don't care if I'm walking in circles. I'm comfortable. This is convenient. Verse 3 says, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God carried by the priest, you are to break camp and to follow it, but keep a distance of about 1,000 yards between yourselves and the ark, don't go near it so that you can see the way to go because you have not been this way before. So they were told if they were to follow the ark of the covenant, it was going to get into the water by the priest carrying it and the water was gonna stop flowing upstream. You can go and read the context this week, Joshua 3, Joshua 4. The ark in the Old Testament represented the presence of God. And the priests were the ones that were allowed to carry, but only a certain priest, and they had to carry it a certain way. So the priest carried it, the presence of God moved, the people moved. The priest carried the presence, when the presence moved, the people moved. The priest carried the presence, when the presence moved, the people moved. If you're a Christian in this room, you are the carrier of the presence of God. And so when God says to move, we move. We're a carrier of the presence, When God says to move, we follow it. 
But there's some things that make that difficult. The first thing, and most of us can testify to this, is that God can be hard to hear. That's why personal intimacy with him is a must. What you're getting right now is not supposed to feed you the rest of the week. God can be hard to hear. You have to have a relationship with him. That's a daily one. What I've learned in our life, and you see in the text too, there's always someone to follow in our life. The Israelites, they had Pharaoh. They had the sun and the moon God. They had idols. They had Joshua. They had Moses. They had the Lord. For us, there's almost always going to be someone that is easier to follow than God's voice. But which voice you follow determines your future. Which voice you listen to determines where you go and who you are and what you do. Second thing I've learned when it comes to following God is that his timing rarely matches our timing. This is why personal, personal intimacy with God is a must. The thing is with God's timing is that it could be off schedule to us, but still be right on time. Someone needs to hear that today. You've been waiting on a promise from the Lord. And I felt he spoke this to me between both services. There's someone you've been waiting and you've been waiting in this transition and you're like, God, I'm tired of transitioning. When is the next season? He's right on time. Your schedule is off. His is not. Because our good is more important to him than our timing. Our good is more important to him than our timing. Another thing is that most of God's promises have to go through processes first. When God was gonna flood the world, he gave Noah a chance to build a boat. It took Noah years. That's a process of building this boat to save the family and the animals. When God wanted to part the Red Sea, a lot of times we just hear it as he parted the sea and the people walked through. But scripture says it took all night. That promise was a process. But the greatest example is that when God saw the world needed a savior, he didn't send a grown man to take the cross. He sent a baby named Jesus because God's promises work through processes almost every single time. But people don't like to follow what they can't see or what they don't hear or when they don't know when it's gonna happen. No one likes to wait. When I say no one, I mean this guy. I cannot stand waiting on anyone for anything. Ain't that right, friends in the room of mine? Like, you know, I don't like to wait. Most people, we want our stuff and we want it right now. Speaking of that, Chick-fil-A. Can I get an amen before I even tell the story? All right, Chick-fil-A, did you know it takes on average eight minutes and 29 seconds to get through a Chick-fil-A drive-through? Eight minutes and 29 seconds, which makes them the slowest drive-through amongst their competitors the three out of the last four years. The only exception was the year 2020. If I need to explain why 2020 is an exception, we're just glad you made it to church, baby. We're glad you're here. You'll figure it out. Three out of the last four years, they had the slowest drive-through, slower than Wendy's, Burger King, Dunkin', McDonald's, Arby's. I love Arby's. Carl's Jr., Hardee's, Taco Bell, and KFC. Some will disagree, and they're wrong. The end result at Chick-fil-A is worth the wait. The spicy deluxe sandwich with the lettuce and tomato and pepper jack cheese and the fries and the lemonade. Can someone testify and get a, like, I love that. I'll spend eight minutes and 29 seconds every day of my life for that. It's worth the wait. What God has for you is worth the wait. And I want to say this strongly. The prep time is more important than the cook time. Now, you can mess things up in the kitchen when you're cooking. I get that. Well, let's take a brisket for an example. You could smoke a brisket for the right temperature, for the right amount of hours, get the seasoning right. But if you don't trim the brisket correctly, the prep time is more important than the cook time. If you leave too much fat on the brisket, the smoke's never going to get through. 
take all the fat off, it's going to be dry, like your grandma's purse or like the carpet in here. It's just not going to be good. The prep time in our life is more important than the cook time. The prep time is more important than the cook time. The prep time is more important than the cook time. The Israelites, they were going to a land they had never seen before, and their only guide was the ark of the covenant. Their only guide was the presence of God. But church, can I tell you, it was enough then, and it's still enough now. The presence of God is all we need as we transition into the next season. But I don't want to lose sight that God's voice or his plans or what seems at times a lack thereof, they don't always make sense. The analytical part of me says, okay, you have this box, this wooden box, and somehow that's where God's presence is represented. And as it moves into this fast-flowing river, somehow the water is supposed to stop as a certain person stands in the middle of the river And hundreds of thousands of people are now supposed to cross without that water coming. It doesn't make sense to me. And the logistical nightmare of getting everyone through that before the water came downstream is crazy to me. And then you involve kids and their questions. I don't know about y'all's kids, but my kids like to ask questions. Daddy, where are we going? What's on the other side of the river? Hey, who's that priest? Why does he have a beard? What's in the box? And I bring my tablet. (laughs) Is there going to be snacks when I have the windows down? Are we there yet? What if Aunt Karen trips into Uncle Ben and trips into Grandpa and Grandpa knocks over the priest and the priest drops the Ark and the Covenant into the water? What's going to happen? Like, that's the questions my kids ask every morning. And if we're honest, we ask God questions like that too. And sometimes they sound just as silly as some of those, but I don't think the Lord is put off by them. But I do want to say that our allegiance to God and our obedience to God is not the same thing, church. Our allegiance to the Lord and our obedience to the Lord are not the same thing because my kids can be my kids and still not obey. My kids could be happy that I gave them dinner and not get in the bathtub like I told them to. Your allegiance as a Christian is important to the Lord, but so is your obedience, and one does not come just because the other one does. I know this is a strong word, but the same can be said for kids as it is for Christians that are in this room who do not honor, respect, or listen to the word from their father. And I think this is one of the biggest hindrances in the church is that we say, hey, we're a Christian. I'm allegiant to the Lord, but I'm going to do life my way. And it's a complete contradiction of the word Lord. He calls the shots. He tells us what to do and we obey. It's not always easy. Some things that I've learned the hard way on obeying anyway is not every opportunity in the next season is from the Lord. Just because the door is open does not mean the door is for you. Another way to say this is that not every plentiful land is the promised land. It might look good on the other side because our feelings can mislead us, our eyes can misguide us. And so what I teach to people that are around me in my circle and I wanna try to help you with today is always ask, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? I see the doors open. I see all of this out there. I see these options. What are you saying to me? Another thing I've learned the hard way is that impediments, just like the Jordan River, are not always from the enemy. The hard things in your life are not always from the enemy. Sometimes they are from God. What if God wanted to use the impediments in your life to build your faith, to see if you would trust him through it anyway? Another one is that if God called you into the promised land, you need to know the giants in the promised land already have a death sentence. You just need to obey what he says. Every problem that you have in your life has an end date. And you don't have to know when that is. The Lord's going to take care of it. You just have to obey anyway and do what he says. Is it possible 
church, that the Lord has not told you what's next because you can't handle it yet? That there are some things that you have to do, that you have to get rid of before you go into the next season? Point number three is that we need to consecrate ourselves. And this is a word for the entire church that can hear me today and those that are watching online, but it's also a word just for you. Because if you're consecrating yourself, but your neighbor's not, you can't consecrate for someone else. Joshua said, break camp, so remove the tent pegs and keep moving. And then you need to obey what God says as you're transitioning. But before you go, in verse five, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Even though this was the last thing to be said, it was the very first thing that had to be done. Before they broke camp, before they obeyed, this was the first thing they were supposed to do. Consecrate is kind of a churchy word, so let's look at this. It means to make clean, to purify, to wash, to be holy. And if I can say anything about the last two years of my life, it has been a consecrating, purifying season because I've not always got this right. I've not always nailed this. And consecrating and washing and purifying it is uncomfortable, it is inconvenient, and sometimes it flat out hurts. But God is always more interested in your good than in your feelings. And that's hard to hear in 2023 when everything's about us and how we feel and what. No, he's more interested in our good than how we feel. And as the church, this is where we have to get it right. This is what allows God's presence to show up in a way that we can't explain. The word consecrate in the Old Testament a lot of times was this outward washing of your skin or outward washing of your clothes so you can go on to the next step. For us in the New Testament church, this consecration is an inward washing of our mind and our hearts, our morals, our choices, our habits, our sin. It's a getting rid of and repenting of the things that we know are not from the Lord. And in 2023, on a Sunday morning in the Bible Belt, I don't have to sit here and give a definition and explain in an essay what sin is and why it's bad. But I do know that God wants to purify us from our sin for our good and for our protection and for his kingdom so we can advance it together. Physical, emotional, mental, relational, financial, and even spiritual, removing and purifying, this is the cost, this is the price we have to pay for spiritual intimacy. And if I can be brutally honest, there are people under the sound of my voice you don't wanna consecrate, you don't wanna be purified. And you wonder, and I've been in this place in my life why I can't hear from the Lord, it's because I'm not clean. And I'm not saying he can't speak to you where you're at because he does, we see it all throughout his word, but I'm saying he honors this. It is a principle in the kingdom that when we hand over our sin and we repent, and we have this inward cleansing, this inward washing, God shows up every single time. This is the biggest hindrance in the church. The worldwide church and nationwide, and I would even say our campus, this is the hindrance, is that people don't wanna be pure. They wanna have fun. They wanna do what feels good or I'm not hearing from God, so I'll just keep doing what I've always been doing. I say this so strongly because I have been there on staff at a church. But when we say, Holy Spirit, come, 
Show me what needs to go. Show me what I need to repent of, what I need to be purified from. He does it. I've said this before, but God's methods work for his miracles. And when we say, God, I I don't know what to do with this, but I know it's not mine. I don't wanna do it anymore. He honors that. And sometimes we just need to clean house, the baseboards, the floor, the carpet, the ceiling, the filters in the AC. We need to clean everything. The Lord told the Israelites, don't make any idols. And if you have any, I don't care how important they are to you, leave them behind as you break camp. And he's asking us to do the same thing because this is what he honors. This is that tangible difference in church on some Sundays or a worship night or a Wednesday night or a small group. It's when the people are doing this. He honors that and he shows up. My kids, they love Lunchables. Transition. I think it's a scam that most Lunchables come with a sweet thing, a candy or you know some little sugar-packed item to cover up that it's not real meat, not real cheese. But a lot of times, I'll take that sweet thing away from my kids and put it, when they were younger, I put it on the counter, but now they've learned that I'm just gonna swat their hand if they go for it. But my six-year-old, because she's smarter, sometimes she'll take that little crunch bar. Why is it always a crunch bar? I don't know, it's always a little blue little. She begins to move it a little bit closer to her. Like, I can't see it. And I say, hey, once you eat your lunch, you get that. She knows that. A few things. I've learned the hard way on consecration, and then I'll close. Just because my six-year-old is not partaking all the way in that crunch bar does not mean it's not a distraction, does not mean it's not a temptation. Matter of fact, she's doing complete opposite of what her father said. And so many of us in this room, we do this. Well, God, I'm not in it as much as I used to. I used to be. I'm not in it like this person is. I'm just gonna keep it right there comfortably close in case I get upset, I can go back to it. I can pick it back up, I can do it again. And even though you might not be fully indulging in that thing, it is keeping you from God. Again, I've learned these things the hard way. That's why I'm saying this so strongly. Another one is that if it breaks the heart of God, why do we think it's gonna fulfill ours? If it breaks God's heart, it's gonna break your heart eventually too, but the enemy's scheme and plan is that it's good for right now. It tastes good, it feels good, it's always gonna be this way and that is a lie. If it breaks God's heart, it's gonna break ours. And then lastly, sometimes the convicting voice of God is needed more than the comforting voice of God. I love that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I love that he brings peace on a daily basis. Sometimes I don't love the convicting voice. But sometimes what we want to hear the most is actually opposite of what we need. Sometimes what we need to hear the most is what we want to hear the least. We all, from the left to the right, front to back, center to circumference, we, we all need to hear the convicting voice of God and respond to it. Because when we do, that's when he moves in our life. And if we're all doing that across this church, imagine what he could do in our church. The church is amazing already. His presence is always here. But I think we're just scratching the surface as we consecrate ourselves, as we do the hard thing. Sometimes it doesn't make sense when we break camp and go from this season 
to this season in the transition. I will testify all day and all night that obeying is not always easy. Matter of fact, it rarely is. Obeying God is always worth it. It's always worth it. And as we're obeying, we gotta clean our house. We gotta consecrate ourselves, be purified from our sin. All throughout scripture and right here in Joshua 3, this is the biblical model of how we transition from one season to the next, no matter what you're heading from or what you're heading into. Let's close our eyes, let's bow our heads. I wanna remind you of a story as you're doing that, just right in Matthew chapter 14. It's the story of Peter walking out on water. I was reading it this morning and it says Jesus commanded them to go across the lake. So Jesus sent them out. They got in a boat and they went across the water and the wind began to chop up the waves and it was a little unsteady. I don't believe Jesus was surprised by that. And later on in the night, as they're in this storm, Jesus begins to walk on water. And Peter's the bold one. He gets made fun of in the story, but he's the bold one. He says, Jesus, I command you to command me. If that's you, tell me to come out and I'll walk to you. And most of you know the story, he did. You can picture it's right there in your mind's eye. Peter's jumping out of this boat and he has so much faith that he begins to walk on water. And I don't know if anyone in this room's ever walked on water before, but we've had that type of faith before. As we're walking towards Jesus and we take our eyes off in that transition, in that moment of life, whether it was something you chose, something that happened to you, and you began to sink just like Peter did. The encouragement I have for you, church, is that sinking is not the same as drowning. Because Peter was close to Jesus, Jesus was able to save him. And I wanna implore you today that your proximity to Jesus as you're sinking is what's going to save you. Not your good works, not your effort, not, not how much money you make or who you're with or what you're doing, it's just Jesus. It's always been Jesus, it will always be just Jesus. And again, in the Bible Belt in 2023, I'm aware most of you call yourselves a Christian, I do too. But there's been times in my life and maybe in your life where Jesus is Savior, but he's not Lord. And you're who I'm talking to right now. Holy Spirit, would you speak? You know he's Savior. You know you're going to heaven, but you've been calling the shots. And you're like, all right, today's the day I stop. I say, Lord, I give my life back to you. If that's you, no one looking around, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you? Many hands. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Come on, if he's speaking you, don't be stubborn. Say, I need to make you Lord again. I know you're Savior, but there's a difference in Lord and Savior, there's a difference in allegiance and obedience. Anyone else? I see you, thank you, got you. Maybe you're here and you've never made that decision for Jesus to be Lord and Savior. And you know that you're not perfect, you need someone to save you from your sin. Would you raise your hand so I could pray for you as well? Say, I know I need someone to save me from my sin. Jesus lived a perfect life. I need him to save me. Okay. 
As Pastor James says all the time, it's not raising your hand what gets you saved, but it's believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. So right there in your seat, you can say a prayer like this, Jesus, I need you because I've messed up. I've messed up more times than I can count. And I need you to save me from where I'm headed, from what I've done. I thank you for your perfect life and your gruesome death and your amazing resurrection. And I know that that pays for my sin and it pays for my shame. And Holy Spirit, I would just ask you to come into them right now that they would feel your presence, they would feel your peace. Whether they're starting a new relationship or rekindling an old one, Lord, you're the spark that sets it off. So would you do that, Lord? You'd be our best friend. And maybe you're here and you're in a season of transition and it really hurts. Or maybe it's a good transition but you know in your life, you just wanna align with what the Holy Spirit's saying. And so when you pray, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? You just wanna do whatever he says. And you're in a season of transition and you just want the Holy Spirit to speak to you clearly, to be with you, to empower you, to take those steps. Can I pray for you too? Could you raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying with? I'm heading in a transition, I've been in a transition. Okay, I got you. Holy Spirit, you are the best guide. Lord Jesus, you are the best God. So we submit ourselves under your mighty right hand and ask that you would lead us, that we would not trust in our own understanding, but we would trust and obey your written and your spoken word. Would you guide us in the next step or two, Lord? We don't need to see the outcome, we just need to see you. We just need to hear you, Lord. You are what we came for. You're why we're here, so help us, Lord to live in obedience, to advance your kingdom, to love the people around us as we love you. And Lord, I pray in these next few moments, our spiritual eyes to be open to what you're saying, to what you're doing, to how you're moving, and that we will respond in obedience. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand to your feet? I wanna read this verse. It's in Joshua chapter four, which is the chapter after chapter three. It's in verse five, it says, Joshua said to them, go across to the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan River. You ever feel like God called you into the middle of a river? Each of you lift a stone onto your shoulder so that this will be a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, in the future, when the people around you ask you, man, what did you go through? What was that like? How did you get through that? Many of you are going through things right now in your life and people are watching, not judging you, they're just watching you. And when you get to the other side, what the Lord's not wanting you to do is carry what you went through to weigh you down, but carry what you went through to be a sign. That's my testimony. That's my story. And when you get to the other side and you're carrying the rock, you're reminded to tell people, God, it was good the whole time. It didn't feel like it, I didn't see it, I didn't wanna do it that way. Matter of fact, I never would've chosen it, it hurt. But look how good God is. Even when I didn't see the way, he was already on the other side waiting and he was walking through me or walking through it with me too. 
That's a testimony for many people in this room. Can we remember as we go on this last song of worship that God is good, even if we don't feel it, even if we can't see it, or even maybe right now you don't believe it. God is still good. 